Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports podcast presented by First Federal Bank. It's Monday, July 11th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. On today's show, Kansas State beat writer Kellis Robinette and I catch up on college sports realignment, this time from a Big 12 perspective. It's been more than a week since the news of USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 10 broke, and speculation continues to run rampant about what will happen next. Kellis and I agree on this point. The Big 12 appears to be operating from a position of strength. We're not talking about what schools could get picked off by other conferences. It's more like what schools the Big 12 could target for further expansion. After a break, we switch gears and preview Big 12 media days that happened later this week in Dallas and discuss the significance of the Wildcats getting a commitment from the state of Kansas' top football prospect. Okay, let's get started talking with Kellis Robinette. Kellis, it's been a while since we've chatted um, more than, more than a week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and since that has uh, since that occasion, a lot has happened in college sports. We're going to talk on a, talk about a few topics, but the the subject that's still on everybody's mind is realignment. So you and I need to catch up a little bit on our realignment chatter. You you know, I remember a few months ago you 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 took the lead on a uh, you know on a story that asked a lot of questions about about realignment. This was before USC and UCLA left. And it got a lot of, it, it was really popular. And what I remember about that was realignment is a topic everybody loves to talk about, even, even when there's no catalyst for it. But now we definitely have a catalyst with uh, the Pac-12 schools, UCLA and USC, heading to the Big Ten. Uh, this will be their last year in the Pac-12. So uh, pretty big news that that hit a couple of weeks ago. And the, the question now becomes, what's next? And we'll, we'll speak in our region. We'll talk about the Big 12. Um, it just seems like, at least in the moment, the Big 12 is not uh, operating from a position of weakness um, here. Uh, there, there are people in the Pac-12 and people in the ACC that are worried about their future. I'm not so sure... The big, the big 12 is always concerned about its future, but I don't think it's risen to the level of worrying about its future. Do you think I'm right about that? I think you are right. I think this time it's different for the big 12. We've been through uh, every possible angle of this in the past and every time it's been different. Um, the big 12 has been the prey, if you will, the team that has the, the members at the, uh, you know, the, the bottom end, of the conference without uh, big media markets and big fan followings um, squirming every day. What's, what's going to happen to us. Um, now the people worried about that are in the PAC 12 or now PAC 10, if you will, um, instead of KU and K state fearing for what might happen if their league falls apart right now, those teams are Oregon state, Washington state, maybe even Stanford and Cal. How crazy is that? That they might be squirming a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think the big 12, they're in a, a different spot now. I think, you know, never say never, but in just about all the scenarios that could play out next, I think the Big 12, after all they've already been through and how they've rebuilt built the conference, I think right now they're probably the most stable of any of, uh, you know, the conferences out there other than the Big 10 and the SEC. And I guess the question for Big 12 fans right now is, um, does the league add? How aggressive is their new commissioner? 
Um, do they go out and do they try to make a play at the Pac-12? Um, maybe they do. And how how poetic, I guess that's the right word, how weird would that be if the league that started all this way back in the day was the Pac-12 or the Pac-10, right? They came in to Big 12 country and they tried to take Texas, Oklahoma, everybody out there and make it a, a West Coast league with the best Big 12 schools. Couldn't make it happen. Um, how how weird would that be if all these years later now the Big 12 comes in and delivers a death blow to the Pac-10 and takes their teams in and comes out this way? Um, I personally would love it if, if Colorado came back to the conference and missed that road trip, I miss uh, watching Ralphie run around on the field. Um, I don't know if it'll happen, but that's that's kind of what we're all thinking right now, right? Will the Big 12 make a move? And if so, how big will it be? Right. No, I, you're you're right. That That is the... the in some ways, the ball is in the Big 12's court when it comes to um, what 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 may happen next. You know, Kellis, you and I are veterans of the realignment wars. Uh, we <laughs> we we have uh, uh, we we went through it. You know, a dozen years ago, we went through it in 2016 when the Big 12 was looking at other schools and possibly expanding. Decided not to then, but really. St- shook it up for a few weeks in the summer. And then, of course, last year when Texas and Oklahoma went through its, you know, its decision to go to the SEC. And in the, in the, in the sudden aftermath of that decision, there was absolutely some uncertainty about what, would the, what the Big 12 would do next or would it survive. There was even talk, I can remember a year ago, with the Pac-12 um, uh, assume some of the big 12 schools, right? Take it, you know, invite them in. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember KU and K-State being a big part of that conversation. They were mostly looking at, you know, a way to get into Texas uh, for recruiting and an Oklahoma state with, um, you know, with its attractiveness as a football program. And, and again, we were going through it last year, what was going to happen to the, to the Wildcats and the, and the Jayhawks and Iowa state as well. And with the big 10 throw KU a lifeline, I can remember that was part of the you know conversation a year ago, but I'll, um, I give, you know, commissioner, you know, where you talked about the new commissioner, Brett Yormark, and he, he's got some decisions to make and we, we, you know, he's young and we think he's going to be aggressive, but I also credit Bob Bowlesby for saving the big 12 by expanding. And, you know, when they took in BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and central Florida, I thought that was a bold move, a great reaction to the loss of, of Texas and Oklahoma. And I, I can't help but wonder now if George Kalivkoff, and again, I, I've been missed. I may have been pronouncing his name for years now, but anyway, I wonder if, if he might not do something similar and, uh, you know, take a look at a Boise state, uh, uh, San Diego state, you know, some of the mountain West programs that are, you know, that, that, that are attractive in, in football for sure. And if that's not, uh, a way to uh, mimic at least what the Big 12 did a year earlier. You know, if, if I had to put the odds on what happens, uh, you know, I don't feel great one way or the net, on the one way or the other on anything. I wouldn't say, you know, anything's a lock or even, you know, like a 70% chance of happening. But if I had to say, guess what happens, I bet that's probably what happens. The Pac-12 probably follows the same pattern the Big 12 did a year ago. Um, I think they probably look at their options um, maybe they have some back channel conversations and see if TCU or somebody still is interested in coming out there. I don't think that's the case. You know, last year at this time, heck yeah, TCU would have loved to be in the Pac-12. Pretty much, I don't know, just about any any Big 12 school, given the chance to jump leagues last year, probably would have done it. 
um, until things settled down and they added the schools that they did. Um, but I just going through that same, you know, scenario, I feel like the Pac-12 is probably going to follow it. Um, they might try to look to expand, realize that there's not a ton of great options out there and say, you know what, maybe let's just go San Diego state, go Boise state and do a new Pac-12. The, the only, um, worry about that though, is that like, unlike the big 12, when the big, like you said, when the big 12 went out, they added BYU, very good ad. Central Florida, very attractive ad. Houston, Houston's been a Big 12 team forever. They just weren't in the league, right? <laughs> and Cincinnati, you know, Cincinnati is kind of weird, but, you know, they were in the playoff last year. They're off there with West Virginia. It all makes sense, right? You know, nobody wants to see Texas and Oklahoma leave, but these four schools coming in add a, add a good deal of strength, puts the conference on stable ground. And there's nobody really out there, you know, that the Big 10 is going to come in and steal unless you believe that KU is knocking on the door, which I don't. But if you do, that would be the only option. Um, SEC is not going to come in and take anybody. Pac-12 is going to be a little different because I can't imagine that Oregon and Washington um, are dying to play in a, you know, watered-down Pac-12. I think even if the Big 12 came along and offered them a sweet enough deal, they'd probably come here. Um, but the Big 10, they definitely jumped there. So that's kind of the, the, the interesting fact in that is even if they go out and add Boise State and San Diego State, which I think would be all right, um, that would make that a, a pretty decent league. Um, the, the, the big fish at the top of the conference, I think you'd always worry, when are they going to try and try and sneak out the back door on us? So that, that, that just adds a whole nother layer to all this, you know, even though they have a, a move that could make the conference okay again. Um, I don't know how you convince everybody that Oregon and Washington are going to stay there long-term. That, that's a, that's a really good point. When you, Oregon and Washington are, are the two most attractive teams of the PAC 10 and, or could they be bound for the Big Ten? Could they join, you know, the L.A. schools going to the Big Ten? Um, would they, you know, would they be interested in just staying in the in the Pac-12 for um, an expanded Pac-12 for travel purposes, other sports? I know Oregon especially is because of the Nike money and uh, thinks of itself as a, a, a national power program that should be attractive to other conferences. And I think it is. I think I think Washington is as well with its history and um, its tradition of, of college football. To me, the 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 pack the, the pack ten schools that are in maybe in a little bit of trouble when it comes to options are Cal and Stanford and uh, the, the Bay Area schools. Stanford football or uh, Cal football has just been so mediocre uh, for so long, and you know Stanford, of course, is an incredible academic institution, but um, I, I don't see. You know, I don't I don't when I read scenarios and, and, and read about this, I don't see where Stanford is sh showing up in a lot of other places other than, you know, other than the Pac-12. So it's I'm, I'm curious about those two schools. But Arizona, Arizona State, Utah and Colorado, certainly in the in the in, before the day was over when it was announced that UCLA and USC were going to the Big Ten, those four schools, the four corner schools talked about as being an attractive target for the big 12. And I think that would be um, uh, if, if that was the only move that, that was made, it would eliminate the, it would eliminate the PAC 12 as a conference. Um, but I think it would really enhance the big 12 if they were able to lure those four schools in. Uh, let me ask you this. We, we talk about, it seems like when we say the big 12 might look to take some PAC 12 schools, the line of thinking is, you know, Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, Utah, that seems to be the most obvious. 
Um, do you think the Arizona schools would be tied together? You think you'd have to take both or if the big 12 really wanted to be selective, you think they could do like, you know, Oregon, Washington, one Arizona school in Colorado, something like that. You think it, you think that's on the table? I think, well, there's nothing off the table. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, you, you wonder if, um, if, if that was the thought of the big 12, would politicians in Arizona try to keep those schools together as a future? Because we've seen that in, um, in, in, in different realignment scenarios. Uh, I remember way back when Kansas senators were, you know, were, were adamant about keeping KU and K-State together in any future conference. Um, you know, the thing about separating Arizona and Arizona State is uh, I, I don't know the dynamics of the schools in that. Having, I've covered games. We've all covered games there and been to Phoenix um, is, is the state of Arizona, you know, dominated by the Wildcats? I don't know if that's the case. Um, you know, certainly Arizona State is right there in Phoenix and or Tempe, which is right next to Phoenix. Um, I, I don't know which is the more popular or dominant school in the state when it comes to, you know, um, market appeal, brand appeal and, and market. And if if you're better off taking both or just having one. But going you know going back to Oregon and Washington those are the two most appealing schools left in the Pac-12 and if you had a chance to take those um even if you even if you sweeten the deal by saying look you you don't have to sign a grant of rights you just you know come into our conference if you find if you end up some somewhere down the road getting a better deal you can do it but um but come come to the Big 12 if you don't have another place to go right now so i yeah i would Listen, I would take them all. To be honest with you, I, I would. I, I I've been saying this for uh, since the the real the realignment uh, wars of the of of ten and eleven that I think the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve should have had some sort of agreement, merger, whatever you want to call it, and just be the the dominant conference west of the Mississippi River and own three time zones: the Central, the Mountain, and the Pacific. Um, it, you know, it may end up coming to that with um, with, with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 reaching some agreement. There's some talk that, that uh, we that we heard late last week that the Pac-12 and the ACC might reach some sort of loose alignment and, you know, non-conference games and then having their conference champions play each other in a, in a final league title game. Listen, all of this is going to depend on is there going to be a next move for the SEC and the Big Ten? And we, I saw where the Iowa athletic director, uh, Barta, came out in a press conference last week saying that he doesn't think there will the, the Big Ten's going to move right now on another edition unless it's Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is the big prize left out there. So if that's the case, then um, if, if the SEC is set at 16 and the Big Ten is set at 16 or 17, depending on what Notre Dame does, um, you know, maybe some calmness, you know, reaches the college sports landscape. But to me, you still have to be aggressive if you're the Big 12. You still have to be looking for, um, you know, some stability and try to make yourself the third best conference. Um, right now, that's where they are in terms of financial, uh, you know, payouts from, from football and TV contracts. They are number three ahead of the ACC in the Pac-12. The Big 12 has to continue to be aggressive and do what it can to strengthen its conference. And if that goes, if that means going to 16 or 20, I, I, I would do it. I, I would do it. It's easy for me to say that, 
But um, it, it's all going to depend on what Fox, ESPN, or streaming services believe the value of an enlarged conference uh, with you know certain members, how much value that will bring to the Big 12. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think uh, when you look at the schools we talked about, the Big 12 possibly adding, um, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, you know, even though they're not the, you know, uh, none of those guys are like headliners. Um, I think it's still a good move just because, like you said, it would solidify the conference. It would diminish. It would pretty much take the Pac-12. It would weaken them significantly. There's no way the Pac-12 is rating you at that point. Um, And maybe at that point, too, even even Oregon and Washington want to come on board. But I would say, you know, strength in numbers. Um, If you add those schools, it's kind of a statement. You add more, you add more uh, time slots for TV games. Um, you add more schools that have some passionate fan bases. And I think just overall, it makes the conference look a little bit stronger than it is right now than if it stays pat. So I think uh, you, if you're the Big 12, you definitely need to at least be pursuing these options. Um, you know, maybe maybe they just decide uh, all those schools that, you know, we're just a better fit in the in the Pacific time zone. We don't want to we don't want to deal with the Big Twelve right now. We want to stay, you know, and, and maybe at San Diego State and Boise State. That's fine, but I think you definitely need to, to be proactive, be aggressive, and um, you know, I, I think any scenario um, that we've discussed would end up being good for the Big Twelve if they can make it happen. Just because just because of the strength of numbers. Um, and you know, he, Hey, the, the TV money isn't going to be as good without Texas or Oklahoma anyway. So you might as well just try to, you know, squeeze every little dollar you can out of it. And now's a good time to do it. Yep. All right. Uh, two quick thoughts before we go to a break. One is I spent some time last week in North Carolina and let me tell you that how familiar it sounded with their, their fans and their media talking about l- lamenting the potential loss of rivalries and traditions, you know, D- Duke, North Carolina basketball, is that not worth it? And, you know, all the stuff that we've been saying for 15 years in our part of the country, I'm hearing from um, folks in, in North Carolina who are ACC fans. And the other, uh, the other note I wanted to strike here before we go to break is you and I are going to be talking a lot more about this this week. At Big 12 Media Days, those start on Wednesday in Arlington, Texas. You and I and the entire conference will be there to discuss this topic and many other topics. Um, so, Kellis, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Buying your first home is a huge milestone, but the journey there can be confusing. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is here to make it simple. After nearly a century of serving the KC community, our loan advisors have experience in every type of housing market. With a short phone call, we can give you a free rate quote and talk through loan options. No pressure, no obligation. The road to home ownership can be simple with First Federal Bank. Get started with a free quote at ffbkc.com homes. First Federal Bank of Kansas City, because banking is personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Okay, we're back on Sportsbeat KC with Calvis Robinette. We're talking Big 12 
and college sports realignment. You know, uh, Big 12 Media Days, as I said earlier, this week in, in Arlington, Texas, and uh, just a few days ago, the Big 12 Media Polls were released. And for the first time in, was it six years, Oklahoma not picked to win the Big 12, defending champion Baylor, number one pick, the top five go Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and number five, Kansas State. KU was picked 10th, where they have been picked, I'm sure, every year for the last decade. <laughs> decade or more, but what, what, you know, I I thought, okay, that, that seems about right for Kansas state fifth. I would maybe make a case for them fourth ahead of Texas, but I don't, I don't fifth seemed about right. And then the big, the all big 12 team came out the preseason, all big 12 team. And I'm looking down the list and there's a K-Stater and there's another K-Stater and there's a K-Stater. And then I added them all up. And Kansas State had six players on the preseason All-Big 12 team. That is more than any other school. The fifth-place choice had six uh, selections on the team. Baylor had five. Oklahoma State had three. Texas, two. Oklahoma, one player on the All-Season, the Big 12 preseason All-Big 12 team. It was the punter, the punter from (laughs) Oklahoma. So, I don't know if that adds up or not. Maybe maybe in the, it's a media poll, so maybe there were more Kansas State uh, writers voting in this. Or, but I was surprised by that, Kellis. And what does that say that, um, the, that the Wildcats could have six players deemed the best at their positions but picked only fifth in the uh, preseason poll? Well, I had that same thought myself. Um, before I answer that, I will say that you mentioned Oklahoma only had one guy. Um, that's the same as Kansas. Kansas only had one guy as well. So, <laughs> so based um, on that, it should be a dogfight between those two. It really players. should. Parity will reign this season. I mean, I think people are really look, underlooking the Hawks here. If they got the same number of uh, all-conference players as OU, they should be ranked up there. Um, <clears throat> but no, I, I think Kansas State's kind of in this weird situation where they've got quite a few, you know, name players that people recognize and know and think are really good. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn is great. Um, uh, Felix and Yudike Uzama was very deservedly named a defensive preseason player of the year. Um, they've got a lot of players that people, people know, and a lot of good skill players. Um, but they're just kind of stuck in that, uh, you know, situation where their name is Kansas state instead of Texas or Oklahoma. So nobody really quite wants to, um, push them any higher than the middle of the league. Um, so it, it has been a little interesting pretty much every preseason, um, you know, magazine prognosticator analyst out there is uh, labeled Kansas State a sleeper team in the Big 12 this season, a team that if things break right could end up uh, playing in Arlington at the end of the season. But then nobody, you know, goes out and picks them higher than like fourth. So it's it's interesting. I'm not sure exactly what is uh, making, uh, you, know, you know, giving people pause here. Um, the, t- the two questions I've come up with, I think that maybe people are wondering about are um, just how good is Adrian Martinez at quarterback? Um, I have some Nebraska fans who are convinced he's just trash. Right. Poor. Right. Um, they've watched him for four years, can't win close games. And, you know, from what I've seen of him, he looks pretty good. And, you know, maybe a, uh, maybe a change of scenery is all he needs to uh, get to a bowl game and have a winning season. But I wonder if people have just seen him in so many games in Nebraska, losing all those close games and that they just have the same feeling, you know what, he's just not quite good enough to take him to 10 wins or whatever. And I think that's valid until he proves it. You can have that thought. Um, but I would also argue that, 
moving into a new situation. We've seen plenty of times where quarterbacks have, you know, thrived in one situation and not the other. It could just as easily be Nebraska is the problem, not Adrian Martinez. We'll see this season. Maybe may, if, if Nebraska goes out and goes undefeated this year, then uh, shoot, that doesn't reflect great on him, but we'll see, um, you know, Either way, the only, the only other question I have is that on defense, Kansas State is turning over quite a bit in the secondary. They lose all their their team that plays likes to play three safeties on defense on, at the same time. They lost all three of them from last year, um, and I just wonder if if maybe people are curious um, in that that they'll be able to line up and stop teams the way they did a year ago. And those are two valid questions. Um, so maybe that's what's holding them back. But I, I do think it's a little interesting that teams like Iowa State got a first-place vote. Texas is still getting first-place votes. Um, it's it, I think there's a little bit of uh, preseason bias in there. Um, and I personally, I don't know about you, I, I don't actually vote in these things. I would be willing to vote in the poll. But the uh, the preseason team they ask you to fill out is so monotonous. Like it, It's hard even at the end of the season after you've watched it to sit there and say, okay, here's who I think is the third best left tackle or right guard in the league. It's people out there who think it's, it's, it's very difficult. Like if you ask me who is, tell me about Baylor's right guard. I don't know. You know, I, I don't, right, right. I got nothing to tell you there. So when, when somebody asks me, Hey, fill out, give me who you think, you know, the best lineman in the league are, I say, no, thanks. I'll let somebody else do that. Um, so I think that always relates to a, a little bit of some wild results in these polls that you never know who's voting. So I'm looking here at the votes we had. Uh, I think there are almost maybe 40 voters. Um, and how many people are going to actually be at uh, Big 12 Media Day? It's going to be the hundreds of media, right? So right. I think that all comes down to who is voting, how, uh, you know, who they cover, how uh, how much they know about all the teams. Um so, yeah, I wouldn't read the most in the Big 12 preseason poll, but it is it is interesting that everybody seems pretty set on Kansas State. Good team, but we just don't know if they're great yet. When um, For about 20 or 25 years, I, I did a Big 12 preview for one of those magazines. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't publish anymore, but, you know, they, it gave me a little bit of insight. I was so in it, the, the deadline for football preview magazine stuff was in April and May. And so in, I remember in January, in February and March, I would be calling schools and, and getting rundowns on players. And, and I had to pick a big an all preseason, all big 12 team. And I always felt like, yeah, I, I was in good position to vote for the media team when the big 12 asked for it. But the, the, the magazine uh, went out of business, hasn't printed in a couple of years. And so I I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't feel like I have enough knowledge to vote on a preseason all conference team. So I, I, you know, um, uh, I don't do it as either, uh, but and so we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't criticize anybody's ballot because they're out there doing it. Uh, but but it <laughs> right. is I think it is wise to, to let people know that these are it's difficult it's a difficult task task um, and it, not necessarily what you're going to see at the end of the year after the, these teams perform so. Um, one player who uh, is not part of the 2022 Wildcats, but will be part of the 2023 Wildcats is Avery Johnson. And the last time we talked, Kellis, um, he was a week to 10 days away from making his announcement and the Mays quarterback did that. And he picked Kansas state as you suggested he would. I gotta, I gotta tell you though, Kellis, um, when you told me in our last conversation that Kansas state did not have the rivals had not signed the rivals 
top prospect from the state of Kansas, which Avery Johnson is, since 2004, I was dumbfounded by that. So I went back and looked at who all those top prospects were from 2005 until last week, uh, the top prospects in the state of Kansas and where they ended up going. And first of all, uh, you are correct, of course, that that is what happened. And, you know, there is a a variety of schools represented on that list, uh, Nebraska, Miami, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Auburn, my, you know, Miami, North Carolina, Wisconsin, um, who had who ended up getting the state's number one prospect and the state's number one school for college football did not uh, get any of those guys um, between 2004 and 2023. So um, thanks for pointing that out. I was dumbfounded by that, by, by that statistic. TCU even had got one out of Kansas that uh, um, it also led me to do the state of Missouri, by the way. So I did the same thing for Missouri from, from 2003 through 2023 and Missouri was terrific in the Gary Pinkle years, but um, but not so much lately. They they haven't had the this Missouri hasn't signed the number one player from the state of Missouri since Drew Locke in 2015. So I guess that happens. Maybe that's a middle of the country thing. And, um, you know, the, the, the best players from uh, Missouri and Kansas tend to go elsewhere. But um, but anyway, Avery Johnson coming to KU or <laughs> coming to K-State, excuse me. And um, and that was a great get for the Wildcats. Not, because not, not only did they sign the state's top prospect, um, they've got was it is it five of the top ten now locked up? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I believe six six of the top fifteen in the state. So um, it's a very good year for Kansas State to be recruiting well in the state. Sometimes uh, there's just not a lot of talent to be had in every recruiting cycle. Sometimes you look on the, the rival state rankings, and there's only like four guys listed who are even worthy of rankings on there this year. There's, I believe, 16. So it's a, if you're going to recruit the state well, this is the year to do it. Um, there's a lot of talent out there. And not only um, you know, is Avery Johnson um, good just because he's a, he's a nice kid, smart, very good at football, um, but it's a, he, he plays the right position. Um, <laughs> if you're going to get the best player in the state, you want to be the quarterback. He can bring the whole you know, recruiting class together. Now that he's on board, you've got a closer, an extra recruiter. Um, when it comes to recruiting guys on offense, uh, it's going to be a little bit easier now. Um, receivers going to know who's going to th- be throwing them passes. Offensive linemen know who they're going to be blocking for. When they look and see, hey, this is uh, you know one, a guy who was competing at the Elite 11 Finals, uh, top-rated player in the state. He wants me to come play with him. Can be a real big factor. Um, you know, we saw when Arch Manning committed to Texas. I don't know if you saw how many recruits they got after that. Their their recruiting went nuclear. Yeah. Um, not only did they get Arch Manning, but everybody who was on the fence about Texas all of a sudden was committed. They got like ten new guys in a week. Went from like fifteen to number three in the recruiting rankings. Um, you know, I'm not saying Kansas State can expect that because Avery Johnson came on, but they can. They can. They if they do it right, they can get. Uh, a similar boost, just albeit on a, on a lesser level. Um, and I think you're already seeing that people are taking Kansas state more seriously in recruiting right now. And, and having Avery on board only helps that. And uh, of the, 
the the class of 2023, they have gotten, seems like all the good players out of Wichita too. And uh, yes. to, to get the, you know, have the States, it's not the, however you want to label it, the state's largest metropolitan area, the state's biggest city for sure, uh, Wichita to get the corner of the market on, on that city is uh, to me also a nice statement for the Wildcats. It is. And when you think back to the last time Kansas State was really good, it's because they dominated the Wichita area. They had uh, Arthur Brown, Bryce Brown, Chris Harper, um, some other guys in there. Tyson Hartman was a really good player for a while. Anthony Cantelli, kicker, was really good. Um, So, I mean, hey, they all came from Wichita, um, all very highly touted players. A lot of them they got as transfers, um, but they did eventually get them. And so it's kind of kind of gives me a little bit of throwback there that I, I think that not only does it help you because you're getting really good players, but if you can if you can dominate the state's biggest city like that, um, it just sends a message to everybody else out there in the state that's thinking, you know what, maybe I don't have to go to, uh, you know, Oklahoma or Clemson just because they're offering. Maybe I can think about staying here and, and playing in my home state. All right. Good stuff, Callis. Uh, enjoyed our conversation and look forward to seeing you in Arlington later this week. Me too. It'll be fun. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A shout out to our sponsor, First Federal Bank. Their website is ffbkc.com. Tip of the cap to Callis Robinette for sharing his college sports and Kansas State insights. Hope you checked out today's morning sports edition. Great coverage of the Royals' victory on Sunday, plus Wimbledon, auto racing weekend, so much more. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC.